we will be on the final episode of the book of Romans, chapter 16, the last one. Woohoo! The end of a thing is always better than the beginning because it's over. But it. <laughs> but the book of Romans is probably the most important of the letters of Paul the Apostle and all of the New Testament. It goes over every single doctrine of Christianity except for eschatology, which is the study of final things. Um, I was reading uh, some commentaries, and uh, I think it's in Matthew Henry's commentary. He says there was a lot of literature and a lot of things to read in Rome at the time of uh, the writing of this letter. But and being the uh, center of this, is that my ear or is that something ringing? Must be my ear. There was a lot to read in the center of the civilized world at that time. So why would this long letter from some unknown person in the Middle East make it all the way to Rome and be so famous as to last up until today? Because it's inspired by God. Praise God. And God knows what He's doing. So this week's sermon, is this on? Time out. Might need a battery. Oh, turn it on. <laughs> there we go. Now we got a green light. Obedience to the faith is what I titled this sermon. I remember last week uh, the title of the sermon was N O W. If you read Paul's letters, he's got a lot of phrases and words and sayings that he uses over and over again. And we looked last week at N O W. Um, uh, could mean not of this world. The Bible says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And my lovely wife, inspired by the Spirit of God, said N-O-W could also mean no other way. How many know that Jesus is the only way? Those coexist bumper stickers are a lie. Jesus is Lord of all kings. Lord of all, He is the only way. There's no other way. God has made a way, and that's the only way. His way. Praise God. So let's begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the privilege of knowing you and serving. In Jesus' name, God, I pray, help me to speak this morning the words that you would have me to speak to your people, God, that hearing comes by faith, or faith comes by hearing, God. Let the faith of all the hearers be built up this morning the holy name of Jesus, amen. So Paul begins chapter 16, and it was not chapters and verses when he first wrote it. It was all capital Greek letters. That's how they can tell the oldest manuscripts, all capital Greek letters. No punctuation. This somebody did for our benefit. He begins, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church and I don't know how it pronounces, Kencrea or Kencrea, whatever it is, the little port city right next to Corinth in southern Greece. I want you to pay attention to this word, servant. This is the word, this is the word, diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. And it is one who executes the command 
of another. According to Dake's uh, commentary, it was a business elder. This was an important lady in the church at that city. In uh, English, it uh, translated uh, in another um, um, translation, they call her a deaconess. There is no such thing as a deaconess anymore because apparently there's been problems over the years. In any event, she was a servant. She uh, exhibited hospitality and genuine love. Paul concludes this letter with a great deal of affection, according to Matthew Henry. And this is the recommendation of a dear friend, kind of like a letter of introduction. Paul knows this lady personally. He calls her our sister, sister in the faith. He knows her personally. He knows by experience what she's done for the church, how she's served God, and he is recommending her. Anybody ever recommend somebody? I've recommended some people to works, and um, I'll never do it again unless I really, really know that they are worth recommending because it made me look bad when they went to work and they flaked out. Man, I recommended this person, and good grief. Wish I wouldn't have done that. In any event, she encouraged, or this was the letter of introduction, she was a key representative in the church there. She was in the ministry. She was an official person, anointed and appointed and recognized in this church. And being a servant, obviously, since Paul can recommend her, she adhered to high standards. I was reading uh, uh, about uh, the uh, word servant or deacon. And uh, the illustration was given of a really, really restaurant. You walk in, and it's a magnificent place. You sit down, and the waiters are all dressed real nice, gloves and everything. And everything is they're very attentive to you. And they all bring out your food with a silk cover. And all at, once, all at the same time, all of the waiters lift up the covers. And there's your food. And, oh, man. And they are watching to make sure every need is met. My dad told me that our neighbor back in New York City owned a nice Italian restaurant. Anybody know who Salvador Dali was? Painted those melted clock paintings and stuff. He was an eccentric individual. He would come to the restaurant. It was called the Baroque Restaurant. And my dad was the accountant. And he'd come to the restaurant and he'd be eating. And unless the waiter was right there with the bill, as soon as he put his fork down and he was done eating, he would get up and leave. And he demanded a discount because he told all his friends in Europe, whenever you go to New York City and Manhattan, go to the Baroque restaurant. The waiter had to be attentive to make sure. When he put his knife and fork down on the plate, that was it. Better have the bill there. We're called as children of God to be of higher standard than the world. Can you say amen? It's been said before that if you're a Christian on the job, you should be the best worker, the most conscientious worker on your job and on your company's payroll. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus said, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or servant. We are called to serve with excellence. 
Can you say amen? And he says here, I commend you that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. This is hospitality. We should, when we meet other people that say they're Christians, give them the benefit of the doubt. Say, you know what? Warehouse and guy from a restaurant pulls up in a little Volkswagen Beetle and he's in the restaurant and I brought it out to his car. And I saw there's a big Bible sitting on the patents. He was getting everything all out. I said, hey, I said, uh, you're a Christian. You got a Bible there. And I forget exactly what he said, but it wasn't, you know, like he said, oh, I know. remember what he said. He said, are you really saved or are you just religious? I thought, well, what kind of a Christian reading is that? Do you? <laughs> I noticed you have a Bible there. That's a reading. I don't see very many people with Bibles in their cars. You must be saved. I hope you're saved. But why are you so rude? I guess he was testing the spirit. Make sure, that, you know. Many <laughs> of we're to receive others in a manner worthy of saints. That's our responsibility. Can you say amen? And then he says, assist her in whatever business she has need of you. This woman obviously was a business person. She exhibited hospitality there in the, in the church. And Paul says, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So I believe that this woman was probably somewhat wealthy. And she had to go to Rome for business. And Paul says, you guys there in Rome, help her out. Whatever she needs, help her out. Because she helps us here greatly. Make her acquaintance. One commentator says, courtesy and Christianity agree well together. We should be courteous, not only to one another, but to people outside the church, so that the Bible says that we'll have a good report for those who are without. Can you say amen? And, uh-oh, whoops, I went too many. There we are. Greet. Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. This is that famous couple. They were Jewish people. The Emperor Claudius had issued a decree, all Jews out of Rome. And so they met Paul in Ephesus. Hey, we're Jewish believers. And they joined him with Paul. Uh, Aquila was a tent maker like Paul, and they joined up together, and they risked their own lives for Paul. And Paul says, they risked their own lives, and for that I give thanks. Paul wrote this letter many years after this incident took place where they risked their lives for Paul. But he still remembered, and he was still grateful. I would say that that's a good attitude to keep. To be grateful for people that have done things to help us out. <clears throat> and then it says that he gives thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. If they hadn't been there to rescue Paul, we probably would have never heard of Paul afterwards. And the Gentiles, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, the Gentiles probably wouldn't have heard about Jesus as much as they did with Paul. In Acts chapter 18, they meet Paul and labor together in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, there's a riot in Ephesus, and uh, they rescue Paul from that. 
But guess who else this famous couple, Priscilla and Aquila, met in Ephesus? Remember, if you read in Acts chapter 18, a Jewish man from Alexandria of Egypt. Alexandria was one of those outposts of the Greek Empire. There was a great library there, which apparently burned down. They probably had the instructions on how to build the pyramids there, all kinds of stuff. But the, the library burned, and they lost all of that. But Apollos was from there, and it says he comes to Alex, from Alexandria to Ephesus. And he's mighty in the scriptures, and he's an eloquent man. And he has read the Old Testament, and he knows about the Messiah, but he doesn't know it quite as well as he should. And so, fortunately for the rest of the world, Priscilla and Aquila took him in and explained the, more, the way of righteousness by faith more fully to him. And there, then they had the riot there, and Paul remembers this. But here's an interesting thing. It says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They're back in Rome here. Well, when they were in Ephesus, they had a church in their house also. Years ago, when Pastor Wayne and Michelle first started, we had a church in their house. And I remember we took one of uh, a couple of our grandkids, they're older now, they're teenagers, we took them there. Uh, a couple of times, and Raphael says, man, you know, we're having church in the living room. It's like, this is like a family. I said, well, yeah, it's supposed to be. <laughs> Praise God. Matthew Henry writes, a truly godly man will take religion with him wherever he goes. So they had been in Ephesus, and Priscilla and Aquila, they went back to Rome, had a church in their house. They worked... Uh, hand-in-hand hand with Paul for a while, and they did something for God, and they're famous now. Oops, forgot to, oh, no, too many buttons. <laughs> All right, then he says, greet my beloved Epi, I don't know how you pronounce it, Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia, or Asia, to Christ. Notice what he calls him. My beloved, this is a term of endearment. He's saying, I like this guy. This guy has helped us, and this is like one of my best buds. The first whole part of chapter 16 is Paul sending greetings to people he knows that are in Rome. He knew a lot of people. Praise God. He's the first fruit. In Matthew Henry's commentary, my beloved, he says, could be translated, my dear friend. How many know we need friends? How many know we need some dear friends, close friends, people you can talk to and say, hey, you know, this, 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 pray with me. Praise God. We need people like that in the kingdom of heaven. And chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, it says, greet Mary who labored much for us. This is the only mention of this person. Nobody knows what she did other than that Paul says she labored much for us. She worked hard, very hard among you. Other than that, nobody else knows anything about her. But guess what? We're probably going to meet her in heaven. Hallelujah. 
Let's say, oh, you're Mary. Wow, I heard all about you. Except it's just one little sentence in Paul's letter to the Romans. But I heard that you worked very hard among the saints. Praise God. Then he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. This word countrymen literally means these were his relatives. They were like cousins or something. And fellow prisoners. It doesn't say where and when they were in prison together, but they were cellmates. Yo, anybody ever meet somebody that's been in prison and then their cellmate gets out and, hey, this was my cellmate. Man, good to see you on the outside. Remember? But these guys were in prison for their faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, as part of his resume, Paul says, I was imprisoned often. Hey, why don't you come be our pastor? We hear about the, that you've been in jail a lot. That's great. <laughs> it's okay if you've been in jail for the right reasons. <laughs> it was against the law in the Roman Empire to introduce any other gods or any other king. Caesar was king. So if you said Jesus was king, you're committing treason. And that was punishable by death, which is why we hear about the martyrs of those days. Paul's put in prison for introducing a new ruler, King Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world. It's in our heart. Say amen. They were imprisoned office, often. Then he writes, who are of note among the apostles. These two people probably got saved under Peter's preaching, maybe on the day of Pentecost or after that, where it says over the next I think it was 10 years from the day of Pentecost to the persecution um, established by Saul of Tarsus. And in that 10-year period, these people got saved somewhere because the Bible says in the book of Acts, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Hallelujah. So it's unknown when they were uh, cellmates. But Paul writes, they're of note among the apostles. They must have been pretty famous in their day, but he also says, who also were in Christ before me. And this is really interesting to me because Matthew Henry's commentary, or Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary, no, actually it is Matthew Henry's. Paul writes, as if he envied them this priority in the faith. And indeed, to be in Christ is the most enviable human condition. The earlier, the better. I wish I would have got saved long before I actually did get saved. It's Thanksgiving Day, 1981. I was under conviction of the Holy Ghost. I knew I needed a Savior. I knew I was not saved. And in somebody's living room in Flagstaff, Arizona, I prayed a simple prayer and asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And it has never been the same since then. And I wish I would have done that sooner. It took me from 1976 to 1981. When I first began to seek God, it took that long and so much trouble in between before I finally got saved and God began to work in my life. I wish I would have got saved sooner. To be in Christ is to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. Praise God. So, in essence, the commentator saying, Paul's envious. Man, I wish I would have got saved sooner. You guys got saved for me. How did you get saved? My wife asked me the story. That's what 
What did God do to bring you to the point where you knew you, you needed to get saved? She tells me that uh, she had a simple prayer. Okay, God, if you're real, show me. And the next morning she woke up and was like, a light went on. She knew God vinced her. Praise God. Matthew Henry also comments, he says, Paul, how ready was Paul to acknowledge in others any kind of precedence? He's, he's in them. They were in Christ before me. And as a result, there we go, they're famous among the apostles. He also spent time in jail with them. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. How many know that's not always easy to do? Because we see flaws in people and we think, I'm not like that. <laughs> but we should. Can you say amen? We should esteem others better than ourselves. The next verses. There we go. Chapter 8. Chapter 16, 8, verse 12. There's a bunch of people mentioned here. And this is the only place where these people are mentioned in the Bible. Ten people mentioned here. Paul mentions a total of seven women. How many know that the gospel of Jesus Christ has done more to make men and women equal than any other thing in the entire world? Up until those days, and even beyond those days, it was only 1922, I believe, women were given the right to vote in this country. That's absurd, in my opinion. Our Congress can't even establish an equal pay amendment. Men and women should get paid the same amount of money for the same work. But it's not a law in this country. Duh, you guys, get your act together over there. Vote them out. Vote somebody else in who could do it. Amen. Upset. So, here's that phrase again. My beloved in the Lord, my great dear friend. We need friends. Can you say amen? And this is an expression of dear Christian affection, according to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Here's his, his phrase a lot, in Christ. He's got a bunch of these phrases. He labored much in the Lord. Here's it again, in the Lord, in the Lord. And then there's people in the household who are serving God. Here's another one. Stachys, my beloved, my beloved. Then it says, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. What does that mean? Means he was tested. It means his faith was put to the test. Who knows what it was? Maybe he was put on trial. Doesn't say exactly. But Matthew Henry says this means he's of a high character. This is a guy you can trust. He was good as gold. A man who one who one might trust and place confidence in. A noble commendation, Jameson Fawcett and Brown says. Here's a guy. He said he was going to do something. He was going to do it. He could trust him. Verse 11. Herodian. Oh, pardon me. Apelles. 
greet the household of Aristobulus. Now, it doesn't say that Aristobulus is saved, but it says there are people in his household that are saved. Hopefully, Aristobulus was saved. But it doesn't say exactly that he was, but it says that there was a household there of the faith. Then he says, I wrote you my countrymen, and this is another word that actually means he's a blood relative or marriage relative. Somehow or another, he's a relative of Paul. There's three relatives so far of Paul that are saved. How many know it's a great thing to have your relatives saved? I don't know how many of my relatives are saved. I have about 50 cousins on my dad's side and about 50 cousins on my mom's side. I don't even know them all. And they have kids. I've got aunts and uncles, and I don't know if they're saved or not. I try and steer the conversation whenever I get to go visit to find out. and Try to point them to Jesus. Praise God. Then he says, here's another one. Greet those who are of the household of a Narcissus who are in the Lord. There's that phrase again, of the household. It doesn't say Narcissus is saved, but it says there's people in his household that are in the Lord. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Two women. It doesn't say where they are. And uh, in Rome, it doesn't say what did other than they labored in the Lord. And greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me look at my notes. Here. All right. People, uh, they were probably not official, so to speak, ministers of church there, but they are mentioned by Paul. They labored much, and Paul greeted them. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. This individual, Rufus, is uh, the son of Simon of Cyrene. Does anybody know or remember who Simon of Cyrene was? He just happened to be passing by when Jesus was carrying his cross. And the Roman soldiers compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross all the way up the hill. This is Alexander and Rufus's dad, Simon of Cyrene. So he got saved. He saw the crucifixion. And apparently God let him understand what was going on. The Roman soldiers said, surely this is an innocent man. He was there. And Rufus was his son. And then Paul says, his mom was like my own mother to me. My brother Andrew told me one time when he was in high school, he studied French. And so uh, him and some of his friends, uh, they were almost seniors or something. Anyway, they drove up to Montreal, Canada, where they speak French. And uh, I don't know where they were doing tourism or something. And, and uh, they go in a diner, and they're eating at the diner. and. And my brother said that in French, he was able to tell the, the woman who was waiting on them, you're treating us just like my mom would. You're like a mom to us. And he says, oh, you should have seen the expression on her face. It warmed her heart. And here Paul's saying that 
Rufus's mom was treated me just like her son. And he was glad of it. And he makes mention of it. Then he goes on. And these are several more people that we have no idea who they are, but we'll meet them in heaven. Asocritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. So obviously there's a crowd there. A lot of people. Praise God. It's good when a lot of people serve God. And he says, <clears throat> Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. More people. It's a crowd. Hallelujah. A crowd of people. Interesting thing about Nereus, this man got saved, but kept his heathen name. Why? I don't know. Some people, when they get saved, they got changed names. Paul of Saul of Tarsus got saved, and he changed <clears throat> his name to Paul. Saul to Paul, but Nereus decides to keep his name. We can ask him when we get to heaven. Praise God. Then he says this, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Anybody ever seen uh, videos of, uh, the, there's the Eastern uh, Orthodox Church, you know, and the guys are all dressed up and, when you go to greet the guy, you got to kiss him on the cheek, and then you kiss him on the other cheek, and then you kiss him on the other cheek. The Russians do this a lot in uh, a lot of Eastern countries. My uh, Uncle Johnny Cinco was, uh, he owned a little shop, uh, a grocery store. Whenever my dad went to go meet him, he was married to my dad's oldest sister. Uncle Johnny would grab dad's hand and pull him over and give him a kiss right on the cheek. Like, I'd like to see you. We don't do that in this country too much. I, when I was growing up, we did that to my dad quite a bit. I'd kiss my dad. He'd kiss me back. But for the most part, it's kind of uncomfortable in this country. I wouldn't want Pastor Wayne coming up and kissing you. Bah, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Just... Wow. <laughs> Just for the recording, Wayne said that Michelle's wife likes it. Well, that's as far as it goes. <laughs> all right. So this is an Eastern thing. And then he says, all, it doesn't say it here, but all the churches of Christ greet you. Commentator Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, they said, there was people there with Paul. He wrote this from Corinth. There was people there who knew he was writing to the saints in Rome. And it's, oh, oh, oh. We want to be included in your greetings. Tell the Roman church that we send our greetings to all the churches. And how many know there was a lot of churches in Christ that Paul had established all over my Turkey, uh, Greece, uh, Macedonia, the whole area there. Praise God. They send their affectionate greetings. Then. Verse 17 through 20. Uh-oh, Paul has to interject something here. Hey, wait a minute, guys. I urge you, brethren. Notice he doesn't say, I command you. <clears throat> but he says, I urge you, brethren. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Most commentators say what he's probably talking about here is the Judaizers who are coming around to all the churches Paul established and telling the Gentiles, You've got to be circumcised. 
And the Gentiles saying, you're going to do what? And Paul saying, no, you don't have to be circumcised. Put your faith in Jesus and what he did. And that's the gospel, the doctrine which you learn. It says, avoid them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. That's the Greek word, ataktos, which means literally a soldier who's not keeping rank. Can you imagine the soldiers are marching along in front of the emperor, or you'll have a, one of the military parades, and it's everybody marching, and and one guy just, eh, I don't feel like marching. You know what happened to him? <laughs> You're in big trouble, bub. In verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says that talks about those who refuse to work and become busybodies. We don't want to have that happen. Amen. So I read, I have a book at home about this thick. Every day of the year. There's a word study for the Greek. It's called Rick Jenner's um, Sparkling Gems from the Greek. And today's lesson is about those that walk disorderly. And I thought, well, that's really appropriate. So he relates in there. We had a guy in the church. He's over in Moscow, Russia. We had a guy in the church who's charismatic. He was the worship leader. You know, he's really good at it and uh, had stage presence and everything. But he had some personal problems, and he wouldn't listen to me. So I told everybody else in the church, he says, watch out for this guy, something not right. Lo and behold, the guy was involved in criminal activity, and uh, <laughs> the Russian mafia came after him. So he hid for a while, but the Russian mafia found him, and they kidnapped him <laughs> and beat him up until he promised to pay what he owed. And then he got released, and... Uh, Still wouldn't change his ways. So he finally had to say, you know what? Don't come to church here anymore. Go find, do whatever you're going to do. You're walking disorderly. And he told everyone in the ministry with him, he said, I can't tell you everything, but I'm telling you, avoid this person. Hopefully that will never happen in this church. Praise God. Those who are disorderly, do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own belly or on their own appetites, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Your obedience has become known to all. Verse 19, Paul's saying, the Roman church, you guys are famous throughout the whole earth because you're obeying. When Paul finally gets to Rome, he says, they tell him, we haven't even heard of you. We're, you know, in the book of Acts, it says that they, they, they want to know, you know, we've heard some bad things about this, this way that you're preaching, so what do you say about it? And they listen, and they make their decision, and Paul says, okay, well, if you guys don't want to receive it, I'm going to the Gentiles. But the Gentiles, their obedience to the faith became known to all. Therefore, Paul says, I am glad on your behalf. He says, man, that is good news. It warms my heart to hear you guys are serving God. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. There's a problem in the world today called evil. And the problem is, is that it's in the hearts of people. It's their, the only way to get that out is to get a new nature in there, and that's done 
by having Jesus come in. When he uses the word simple here, where did it go? Simple. He says, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple or innocent concerning evil. Remember, Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless doves. C.H. Spurgeon, he says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, but knowing the difference between right and almost right. If you have a question about it, ask God. Hey, God, this, is this right or is this almost right? And he makes a promise here. He says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? The God of peace. Can you? I'm longing for the day. No more trouble. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more problems. Because the enemy will be finally defeated. Hallelujah. That's good news. What a promise. Out of the title he gives him. The God of peace. Even though God is at war with the enemy and has already defeated him. God is a God of peace. Remember what the angels say when Jesus was born. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward mankind. Angels announced the birth of Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the very first promise of God was that the seed, capital S, of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. Amen. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says these words, the Son of God was made manifest or he was revealed, or he appeared here on earth for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? I can hardly wait. No more, hallelujah. No more harassment in your mind. No more problems with people. Because God, the Bible says, will be all in all. It's not our own strength. It's the God of peace who is with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, Excuse me, if or since God is with us, who can be against us? Or another translation, since God is for us, everyone else might as well be with us. Can you say amen? Praise God. Let's go on. Almost out of time here. Two more slides. Timothy, the famous Timothy to whom Paul wrote two letters of instruction. Now he's sending greetings from the people with him to the people in Rome. Timothy sends his greetings. My fellow worker and Lucius, Jason and Sosipater, my countrymen, probably more relatives. Kinsmen in the King James Version, more relatives. Lucius of Cyrene, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. He was known as one of the prophets and teachers in Antioch where Paul the Apostle and Silas or Paul and Barnabas, Paul was sent out on the first missionary journey from this place and Lucius was there. Where did he go? Lucius was there, one of the prophets and teachers. Jason, Acts chapter 17 in Thessalonica, he hosted Paul and Silas and he protected them when there was a riot in Ephesus. And Sosipater in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, he traveled with Paul to Macedonia and Greece and Troas. And they're in Troas. Where is that guy? 
Not in here. There he is. No, that's not it. In Acts. Chapter 20, verse 22. No, sorry. Acts chapter 20, verse 4. Paul's there in Troas with Sosipater, and he's preaching so long that a poor young man named Eutychus falls asleep in the window, falls three floors below. Thank God Pastor Wayne had the wisdom to make one floor on this house here. Praise God. And he falls down and he's dead, and Paul raises him from the dead and continues preaching. Praise God. Then in verse 23, 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Here's that phrase again, in the Lord. Notice, Paul allows the scribe to write in the letter. And this is interesting because it shows, first of all, far from being a mere scribe, Tertius's heart went out to greet the Roman church with Christian affection, and it shows that Paul, what kind of people, worked with Paul. Greet you in the Lord. Christian affection. This guy was saved. Praise God. It's good to have people that are saved working in the church. Amen. And verse 23, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church greets you. Gaius in First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, I baptized him. So here's a friend of Paul. Paul knew this guy. There's only one of few people that Paul himself baptized. And then Erastus, the treasurer of the city. This guy was in charge of the whole city of Corinth's public works and everything. The money came in, and he was responsible for sending the money out to pay for work to get done. Timothy, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 22, Timothy and Erastus were sent by Paul to Macedonia to work up there and to preach the gospel, to teach the church. And then here's another person that we'll meet in heaven, Quartus, a brother. Nothing else said about him. We'll find out about him in heaven. Amen. Then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. How many know we need the grace of God? We'll finish up here, the very end, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This word, to be established, is an interesting word. The Greek word, sterizo, where we get sterilized from. Hallelujah. How many know that when God saved us, he sterilized us? Hallelujah. You have ever heard that saying, oh, you Christians are just brainwashed. And the answer to that is, well, I needed my brainwashed. Can you say amen? <laughs> I still need it washed. The Bible says to renew your mind daily. Hallelujah. And according to the gospel, the good news, notice he calls it my gospel. Take ownership of the gospel. It's the gospel, the good news that God loves us, that saves us. Hallelujah. And the preaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus is perfect theology. Anybody who tries to argue, get the Jehovah Witnesses come over and they try to argue with you. Jesus is perfect theology. He's God come in the flesh. Hallelujah. He is able. 
And it talks here about the mystery, the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. This mystery is the idea and the notion that God had already planned in his very heart from before the world began that not only were the Jewish people chosen and, and beloved by him, but they were supposed to invite others into that relationship with God. And now the way has been made when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says the temple veil was ripped and a new and living way was made for everyone. The fullness of the Gentiles is coming to a close sometime soon, but God wants everyone to be saved. And He is able, Jude chapter 24, God is able to keep you, hallelujah, and present you blameless before God, hallelujah. Isn't that good news? The gospel, the word means good news. God is able to present you blameless. No matter what memories the enemy tries to stir up in your mind about how disgusting you were before you got saved, they, the, the, I've heard that some churches change the words to that song, Amazing Grace, uh, from that saved a wretch like me to saved and set me free. I said, no, when you understand how much of a wretch we were before we got saved, we were helpless and hopeless before we got saved, before Jesus touched our lives. We were a wretch. But the good news is that God has cleaned us up. Hallelujah. And then here's another. Thank you. Another one here. Jesus was now made manifest. He appeared by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. Isn't that wonderful? All the nations, most of them can now read the word of God in their own language. And these prophetic scriptures, it's the word of God that was prophesied about Jesus years and years and hundreds of years before he was born. <clears throat> Hallelujah. For, and this is where I got the title of the sermon, Obedience to the Faith. This whole chapter, almost all of it, is a list of people who were obedient to the faith. Hallelujah. And your and I names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not only that, but these Prophetic scriptures are a commandment from the everlasting God. In other words, God give everyone prior notice. God said, I'm going to do something. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says that the everlasting God spoke and he says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Hallelujah. So it's good news. God is able. God has done a great work. And God is still doing a great work. We're not finished yet. Uh, to paraphrase uh, Vizzini the Sicilian from the, uh, uh, the Princess Bride movie, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. And you say amen. 